This is going to be a brief devotion, if you will. But I think it, um, it will dovetail with what we just looked at. Luke chapter 13. You don't have to stand, but I'm just going to pray over this message, our nation, and our persecuted brothers and sisters as we do each Sunday, and then we'll get into the Word. Luke chapter 13. We're only going to be reading nine verses. Lord, we just bow before you. We are so thankful and so grateful that you have blessed us first with salvation. Lord, if we had nothing else, we've been given eternal life. But you have given far more than that. You've given us your Holy Spirit. You've given us one, one another. You've given us this building we're sitting in. You've given us enough money to eat yesterday. You've given us homes that we could heat and cool. You've given us the privilege and opportunity to help others, Lord, that have lost everything. And Lord, we know that you gave all as a witness, not only of your love for the world, but also, Lord, uh, Lord, as an example to the body of Christ, how we should walk in your footsteps. What would Jesus do? Well, we know you are doing exactly what these faithful uh, pastors and missionaries and people around the world are doing, is reaching out, feeding, clothing, and bringing the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that you would bless these efforts. We pray that you'd bless the uh, offering that we're sending as a church uh, this coming week. And Lord, that which we pray and fast over as well, you'd bless that. We pray for revival in our nation this coming Thursday, National Day of Prayer. Lord, we have many problems in our country. Many, many problems, Lord. And we're a divided nation in so many ways. We pray that you'd bring peace and you'd bring, Lord, uh, a unity that is only found in Jesus Christ, as our leaders return to Christ, our business people, Lord, uh, Lord, our, uh, uh, our local leaders, all uh, our educators, Lord, we would see revival. We pray for our persecuted brothers as well, Pastor Saeed and many others, Lord, that you would please set them free. Uh, Lord, that we know that you can send angels, earthquakes, you can send anything, and Lord, we pray that you would do these things, and Lord, we also ask that you would bless this Bible study, and Lord, you would use it uh, Lord, to speak to hearts, it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Luke chapter 13, we finished the 12th chapter, we'll just read reading nine verses if your Bibles are open, starting with verse 1. There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Jesus answered and said to them, do you suppose these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Of the 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed, do you think that they were worse sinners than all the other men who dwelled in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He also spoke to them this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that, you can cut it down. There's a lot of ways we could look at this text. When it comes to reading the Scriptures, understanding the Scriptures, teaching the scriptures and preaching the scriptures, understand that in any text, God speaks multiple things 
for our edification, for our exhortation, for our discipleship. I'm going to come at this text with an angle that speaks uh, and, like I said, dovetails with what we just looked at. If you're taking notes, I've titled our time in God's Word this morning, Do We Care? Jesus Does. Do We Care? Jesus Does. Aren't you glad He cares? There's times I do not care about a lot of things. And the Lord has to soften my hard heart and say, I care. I want you to care. But he always cares, doesn't he? He never doesn't care. He thinks about, you know, people look at, you know, this, what was taking place here is Jesus come and they're saying, you know, they have this self-righteous attitude. Well, because we haven't been hit by a tower or because we weren't killed by uh, the Romans, we're somehow better than the people that these things happen to. And Jesus said, do you really think that you're any better than they are? Couldn't the tower have fallen on you? Yes. Couldn't the Romans have killed you at their feast? Yes. Why has it happened? The providence and grace of God. But Jesus said, regardless of all that, even though you could have been just as victimized as they were, you're still going to die. And the question is, are you ready if that were to come? That's, and then he goes on to talk about uh, that God sees those that are planted especially those that have actually named the name of Christ, and he looks down and says, are they growing? Are they bearing fruit? So we'll look at three things in the text, and, and again, we'll, we'll make this brief as a devotion almost, if you will. The first one is called care for the lost, and then we'll look at the care to nourish and a care to bear fruit. Jesus cares about all those things, doesn't he? He cares for the lost, he cares that we're nourished, and he cares that we would bear fruit. Care for the lost. You know, Jesus looks and says he understands that all are going to die. Death comes to everybody. Nobody's immune to death. We're all a day older than we were yesterday. True? We're all older now than when the service started. I hate to bum you out. I'm not trying to bum you out. Just the reality. Jesus, a lot of times, doesn't sugarcoat things, does he? He just tells it what it is. And Christians die in tragedies, but so do people who have no religion, so do people who are atheists, so do people who have false religions. All people die whether they're saved or unsaved. Same, you'll be Christians that will die in an airplane crash. There'll be unsaved people that will die in an airplane crash. We're all deserving of death. Why? Because we're all sinners. But not everyone's prepared for death. In fact, most are not. Would we all agree with that? Most aren't prepared for death. The insurance plan might be in place. A completed will and testament might be in place. Contingency plans for family and surviving relatives, those all might be in place. But if the soul of one who dies isn't prepared, a person can make provision for everyone and yet have forgotten to make provision for themselves. And Jesus wants all people to know that the only way to prepare for physical death, whether it's sudden, whether it's a prolonged thing like a bout with cancer, whether it's old age, whether it's expected. Because sometimes people say, hey, we, we probably will see them pass in the next week. But some are very unexpected, right? But no matter how, the only thing Jesus says that you really need is to have had repentance and turning from sin to Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that will matter. As we saw in last week's study at the end of the 12th chapter, 
It's the only wise option. It's the only option. Not only the only wise option, it really is the only option because there's not another way, is there? And that's what Jesus is telling the crowd. He's like, look, unless you turn to me and repent, you will perish and you have no escape. He's offering that way. The primary point Jesus is making in here, he's making this point that everyone's going to die and everyone must humble themselves and believe on him for eternal life and salvation. You say, we already know that. Well, we go verse by verse, and whatever's there, we, we hear it again. And this is what the Lord is reminding. This is the eternal truth that everyone must understand. But everyone doesn't know this. Not even in America. We say every single American knows the gospel. No, there's people in America that don't know the gospel either. Ever heard it. I've met people like that. I've been shocked that they'd never heard the gospel once, and I was glad I ran into them. And I'm sure if you've had those experiences, you're glad you ran into them. Some of them have moved here from other countries, haven't been here that long. Some lived here for generations, and they just had very non-religious families. Now, most might know, but by no means all, even in our own country. And even if a person does know the gospel, even if they've heard it, guess what? They need to hear it again. I'm saved and I need to hear it on a semi-regular basis, like daily. That's how regularly I need to hear it. Most of us have heard the gospel numerous times before we accepted Christ. True? How many heard the gospel more than once before you ever got saved? Keep your hand up at more than 10, more than 20 times, more than 30 times. See, you know, right? There's an old marketing adage. It's called the rule of seven. Anyone ever heard of it? People have to see a message or advertisement on average about seven times before they take action. One business article I read said it's often more like 10 to 20 times before they take action. That's why Valpac has your address. <laughs> right? You are going to get that Mexican restaurant ad 10, 12 times until you finally say, yes, we're going to finally use the coupon because we checked the date. Oh, that was when expired in December. Don't worry, next week it's coming again. <laughs> and remember, product, these are usually products and services that in a lot of cases people are already attracted to. Despite its life and death importance, people are not attracted to the gospel. They're not attracted to the gospel. They're attracted to a lot of these products and services and they still don't take action. The gospel they're not attracted to use even less chance of taking action. But the Bible tells us that mankind, and that includes all of us in this room, prefers darkness over light. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Jesus said, that, believe it or not, we prefer darkness from a spiritual condition. Maybe not, maybe not the light outside. We like it in the morning. But spiritually speaking, People prefer this. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Isn't that interesting? When we're unsaved, it's complete foolishness. Waste of time. What a worthless life. As soon as we get saved, it's power. It's one or the other. It's not even in between. It's either foolishness or power. For Victor Marx, it's power. For someone else, it's foolishness. For Hugh and I, it should be power. And just as we see here with Jesus reaching out, 
Um, this is what he desires us to be doing. Reaching out, observing and understanding it from his perspective, how much he cares. Uh, the world has to hear this hope even if they've heard it before or if they've never heard it before, they need to hear it again. D.L. Moody, when he was over in England, he asked a pastor, he was standing, they were up on like a second or third floor, looking out over the city, and he said, he asked this pastor, he said, what do you see? The pastor said, I see people shopping, going to the store, I see people walking around. He goes, that's your problem. I see souls dying and going to hell. And this is why D.L. Moody was used to rock two continents, and millions came to Christ because he saw things through the eyes of Jesus. And this was a pastor, someone who's doing a good work, but he still had the wrong vision. See, a lot of times our vision is this, and God wants it to be this. Does that make sense? We're like this. We have tunnel vision. I do too sometimes. Trust me. This is, I'm preach. By the way, I always preach to me, so don't worry. Um, you know, this is like this. I need to be like this. Thank the Lord for those that are giving up their lives and ministries in foreign lands to bring the gospel that otherwise would remain in darkness. Wycliffe Bible estimates there's 180 million people still needing translation in their own language. Uh, Christianity Post in 2013, I'll read directly from the article, it says this, says each Bible translation takes between 10 and 17 years. It involves the efforts of upwards of six people. Bible translation takes the talents of poets, linguists, cultural researchers, Bible scholars, computer technicians, theologians, and administrators. These men and women, they work for little pay, often working on outdated technology and living in very poor conditions. They sometimes work in areas of hostility where they can break out at any time. Medical care is not accessible except by plane and many hours of travel. So why do they do it, the article asks. They do it because they have experienced the power of God's word in their own lives. They know that the Bible opens the doors to intimacy with the creator, and they want others to find the hope of Jesus in the pages of scripture. When a new Bible translation is released, people will often go to great lengths to receive a copy of God's own word in their own language. Recently, an 82-year-old woman from Kenya walked six hours to participate in a celebration of the completion of the Kembu Kimberi translation of the Bible in Embu Town, Kenya. Coming from a poor rural village, this elderly woman didn't have money to pay for the Bible. Instead, she traded what she did have, a bag of beans for a copy of the Word of God in her own native language. The author goes on to say, what, he goes, what's disturbing to me is Americans won't drive 30 minutes to go read a Bible or six steps to pick it up off the table. And this woman walked for hours to get her hands on one. So Jesus would say, do you care about those without Christ? That's not, not my question. We, he, he has an entire uh, uh, description of it when, when we stand before on Judgment Day, and he's like, you didn't do these things. And when did we not do these things? And then it'll like roll tape, right? When did we not do these things? Do we care about those without Christ? Those who are not ready for eternity should their life suddenly end. We know the Lord cares. James 5.11 said the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Compassionate and merciful. Jesus went out of his way to reach the woman in Samaria at the well, didn't he? You know that wasn't the route that, that the disciples thought he would take? He goes out of his way to make sure he talks to her, and he knew she'd be the only person there. See, one life matters, doesn't it? Jesus cares about one 
soul. What about a care to nourish? He says here, a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came seeking fruit on it. So the tree is planted, the fig tree, it's already been planted. Who plants us? The Lord Jesus. The tree is planted, but then a man comes, which would be Christ himself, to see is there fruit? Is it growing? But then he says to the keeper of the vineyard, Lord, for three years I look, for three years I come seeking fruit and find none. Cut it down. But someone who stands in the gap, this man says, Sir, let it uh, please let me dig around it and fertilize it. You know, we're called as believers not to make converts, but to make disciples. Disciples have to be planted and nourished. Jesus cares and desires to nourish us. Do you believe that? He cares to nourish us. Do we recognize and do we prioritize that need? Because we need to be nourished. Are we prioritizing the need to be nourished and the need to help others be nourished? Here's someone standing in the gap that wants to help nourish the planted plant and the Lord himself is looking and allowing more time for this plant to grow. We can't nourish ourselves though, can we? Can we nourish ourselves? Well, yes and no. That was not a trick question. Yes and no. Uh, Jude 1.20 says this, Beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. What's Jude mean by that? Building yourselves up. Can you actually build yourself up? Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So what is Jude saying? Uh, Jesus uh, or John writes, uh, actually it is Jesus, in John 15, 4, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. Who has to choose to abide? We do, right? Building yourselves up, choosing to abide. Well, how do we do that? We're in prayer. We're in the Word of God. Your Bible will not float over to you. You literally have to go pick it up, right? You have to open it up. It do, you have to respond. We have to respond. R.A. Torrey said, triumphant prayer is impossible where there is neglect of the study of the Word of God. There's no way you can have a deep prayer life if we're not in the Word, and there's no way you have, be in the Word without a prayer life. So the two go hand in hand. So we have some responsibility to put ourselves in a place to be nourished, don't we? You guys are here this morning because you put yourself in the car. And you said, I want to worship. I want to be nourished by the Word of God. I want to see a video that I didn't see coming. Right? I want to hear from the Lord what matters to Him. But suppose, so we have some responsibility. Think about it like this. Suppose you want a contest. You would all like this contest, I promise you. Suppose you want a contest. You were given a brand new car for life. And you get an accompanying unlimited gas card with it. You can't use it at Macy's. You can only use it at gas stations and not for Fritos and stuff, just for gas. So you get an unlimited gas card. You're given a car for life, and you get to swap the car out every three years for the brand new model. Not every year because they're trying to keep their costs down. But every three years you get the new model, unlimited miles, unlimited gas, car, gas card. You get free oil changes. Any and all maintenance is 100% covered. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? If anyone hears of this, I'm interested, but uh, I'm, this is not existing. But the terms are, there are terms. The terms are you have to put your own gas in the car. You have to actually pump your own gas. And you have to get the oil change, and you get a big buffer. 
You, you can get it changed anywhere from 3,000 to 6,000 miles. You have 3,000 miles worth of forget time. Everyone ever forgotten? You're like, oh, well, we're 582 miles over the limit. No, you get 3,000-mile buffer. Anywhere between 3,000 and 6,000, you have to get it changed. The gas card is free. Everything's free. But if you run out of gas or miss the oil change, really, whose fault is it? I forgot to put gas in it. Left out on the side of the road, we could hardly blame the provider of the free gift. And see, the Lord, he plants us and he provides every single thing we need, but he does hold us accountable, doesn't he? He gives us everything we need. There's nothing, we cannot say, well, Lord, you didn't give me anything to do this. Say, let's review. Of course he does. But our spiritual growth and our nourishment, it comes from above. We can't nourish ourselves in the sense that we, we don't have anything to offer ourselves. We just get like the glass under the spigot. Does that make sense? And then we, we wait there until the Lord hits the, hits the spigot. But we have to be in a place to be nourished. We have to allow him to pour into us since we can't pour into ourselves. We make ourselves available to be poured into. We have to set aside time to rest with the Lord. And by the way, your soul and my soul isn't refreshed and rested through entertainment and leisure. Not that there's anything wrong with entertainment and leisure. I enjoy it as much as you do. But understand, those things don't really nourish the soul. They can give you some physical rest, but they don't nourish the soul. That, do you understand there's some physical rest in the soul? The soul is at a different level than the physical body. And that's why a lot of people are stressed out. Even if their body's rested, they still are not having rest. Jesus said, they'll find rest for your what? Soul. Only God can nourish the soul. Nothing else can do it. You have to have time to rest with the Lord. And uh, he... He recharges the soul. Those things are enjoyable and fun and relaxing. They don't recharge the soul. They can help with the body. They don't recharge the soul. Let me also say this. Spending time with the Lord should not be a chore. A lot of Christians, it's laborious. We need to grow to the place that it's not a chore. It's something we really enjoy. It should be something we come to love, something we look forward to. Earlier this week, I was eating a bowl of Kashi Cinnamon Harvest cereal. That's California really healthy stuff for you folks. I'm not from there. But I know Kashi's been in La Jolla, California for years, right? And um, uh, I, looked, I noticed on the back of the box, Thomas Powell thinks I'm a health nut. I am not a health nut, just so you know. I like ice cream and all this other stuff. But I at least try and eat a healthy cereal. So uh, I'm eating, and I look at the back of the Kashi box, and this is what it says. On the back of the box, it says, at Kashi, our mission is to change healthy eating from effort to enjoyment. And I thought about that, and I was like, you know, God wants our grace-based living to go from effort to enjoyment, and he can do it a lot better than Kashi can. Can he? Because he gives us spiritual food, which really is healthy. And so grace takes us from effort to enjoyment. When we are not nourished and nourishing others, we'll have a malaise in our spirit. Did you hear me? When we're not nourished spiritually and we're not nourishing other people, 
See, the reason that uh, our missionaries can be so at peace in other places is, one, they're being nourished, and they're nourishing other people. And then you have people that have everything and yet seem to have nothing when it comes to peace and rest. That malaise will be there. The soul suffers from spiritual fatigue and dryness apart from the Lord. And apart from serving, as we abide in the Lord. They're all connected. Abiding in the Lord, serving. Some of us should be digging the fertilizer around new Christian plants. All of us should be plants that are actually having our roots go down. Does that make sense? So we're called to be both. We're called to be the guy that's actually uh, getting the, fer- the plant fertilized, and we're actually called to be the plant that's being fertilized. I need to be fertilized from more mature believers than me. You do too. But at the same time, I need to be planting and fertilizing others. It's weird how God, as that whole thing works, that the fresh water comes in, that it goes back out. But only the Lord can nourish in that way. All of you as parents here, and by the way, you have some really cute kids. I was downstairs this morning, and uh, I love to go to different classrooms. They're adorable. They're a blessing, which makes, heart, makes my heart break more when I see kids in other countries that don't have what your kids and my kids have. And you say, how can we, Lord, meet them too? Because you care about them just as much. But I would say as parents, uh, most of you, um, all of you, uh, I know for certain that you not only feed and nourish yourself, but you feed and nourish your kids. Physically. And we need to do the same thing spiritually. We were created to give out. We were created to care for others. Amen? We were created, God's original purpose to Adam and Eve would actually care for the garden. Care for it. Take it. And then they would have kids and care for and take the kids. And they'd be fruitful and what? Multiply. Jesus said, I want you to care to invest in your own nourishment and growth, but also in those around you, to help others grow, to help others mature, help others deepen their roots. And when we do, they in turn then grow and do the same. And they do the same work. And and then that's why we would see lives change and transform in places that say, wow, that could never happen there. Yes, it can happen even there. It's the principle of multiplication in Scripture. The disciples were sent out to not make converts but to make other disciples. You ever bought a plant and then you never ended up planting it? Is that, am I the only one that's had, I bought two from Lowe's and it died in the pot? <laughs> and I, then I look at the price, $17.46. Why? Why did I even buy this? I knew I would have time this week and never ended up happening, and it said it would live for four days and it didn't live two. Right? Because it was meant to get into the ground. It wasn't meant to stay in the pot. The purchase was made, but there was no follow-up. Right? The Lord wants us to say, it's not just that, that we care about the lost, but then when, they're, then when they're brought to Christ, we're discipling them. We're nurturing ourselves in the Lord, but we're nurturing them, and obviously the Lord is nurturing us both. But we have to care. We have to care because Jesus cares. We have to care because by faith, we know that this is the truth of God's word, that these are the things that matter to the Lord because he cares for us. And then lastly, and coming to a close, in verse 9 it says, and if it bears fruit well, but if not, after that, you can cut it down. If we're caring for souls, under this care to bear fruit, if we're caring for souls, if we're abiding, if we're being nurtured, guess what? We will bear fruit. It's axiomatic. 
Chuck Smith used to say, you'd never see an orange tree saying, mm, I'm going to push out an orange today. <laughs> right? It doesn't work that way. The orange tree is getting the water and the nutrient in the ground, and God does the rest. If we're being nourished, if we're planted where we're supposed to be planted, if we care as Jesus cares, we're going to bear fruit. We don't have to worry about it. And now, there's times that I have worried about things. Lord said, why are you worried about that? My... God math works. God salvation works. God discipleship works. And there's, then I have to say, okay, Lord, even though it doesn't make sense human-wise, it works. No one's ever under the ground when these trees start producing these things. God is the only one that's down there and sees how it all works. If we abide and we care about these things, as Jesus has commanded us to, we will bear fruit. Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You know, Victor Marx didn't share there, but you can go watch his testimony. He was abandoned at the age of four in a, in a, in a um, restaurant cooler. Lived in 17 different homes. Uh, he wasn't a loving guy before he came to Christ. And yet, what I've found is some of the toughest guys I've met uh, in the ministry, men that uh, you do not want to meet in a back alley. Some of the toughest ones I've met are guys that God has completely transformed, and they have the softest heart, but they also have a desire to do something about that soft heart and to go help and to do more, and they're not remote control geniuses. You know? They actually are Bible in the hand, Bible in the heart, and they're bearing fruit because they're abiding in the Lord. And they now have, but the more you buy, Lord, you'll have a heart for the lost. And you'll have a desire to nourish and strengthen others. And the fruit's going to come. And it's not just going to be fruit of salvation. It's not going to be just fruit of a better marriage. It's not going to be just fruit of seeing lives change. But you yourself will have more love, more joy, more peace, more long-suffering. You'll be more patient in traffic. All of these things. And against such, there is no law. Isn't that great? We can continue to grow. In John 15, 4, the second part of the verse that I read earlier, the second part of that verse says, If the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You might say, well, I already bear fruit. Great. Do we care to bear more? Every farmer wants a greater harvest. True? Every, every tree uh, has potential to bear more fruit. And Jesus prunes us. Did you know he says he prunes us to bear more fruit? But a lot of people are happy with two apples on the tree. And the Lord says, but I want a hundred on the tree. And Jesus, you know, the good thing is, if he loves you, he says, I'm going to get my harvest. Isn't that great? I will prune. Say, well, I don't want to bear more apples. Well, you are going to bear more apples. <laughs> trim, trim, trim. And if we don't, he can make things uncomfortable for us. But then the tree starts growing more. Amen? Amen. Is the whole world saved yet? Not even close. Do we still have areas of apathy in our lives? Yeah. Self-centeredness, of course. Aggravation, yep, check. Envy, check. Complaining, check. These are just to name a few. So we know we can bear more fruit than we're bearing. We could never look in the mirror and say, well, I've arrived. Paul said he had not arrived. He said he was not even there yet. And he was a lot farther along than I am. 
so we can be more fruitful and we can bear this fruit of the Spirit. My closing question for all Christians, myself included, is my walk with Christ having an impact on the world around me? Is my walk for Christ having an impact on the world around me? Not just locally, but abroad. Jesus cares, do we? I think we do care. I just think the Lord wants us all to draw near Him and we'll care even more than we care. I know you guys care. I know I care. And yet I know I need to care more. Does that make sense? I know I care. I wouldn't do what I do if I didn't care, and yet I still think I need to care more. Matter of fact, I know it, but I can't make myself care more. I can draw near the Lord, and He transforms me to care even more and bear more fruit. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank You for this time in Your Word. We ask, Lord Jesus, for us to have the same burden for souls that You do. Lord, that we would be nourished as we would put ourselves in that place of sitting under the fountain of your living water and growing. And Lord, that we would bear more fruit, not striving for it, but Lord, just coming to you and finding rest. And, and it's enjoyable, Jesus, to spend time with you. It's enjoyable to reach out. It's enjoyable to give financially to people around the world that are lost or have lost everything. And Lord, that we would see these things not as uh, some sort of... Um, uh, punishment, but Lord, a great blessing to be part of the harvest of the true and living God and your, your Son, Lord and Savior of all things. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.